0: If you think of us humans as hardware, like like a computer, we are the hardware. And on this hardware, you have software that's running, which are the programs that we've been fed culturally, through school, through religion, through society, whatever. You don't even realize that you're almost running a number of programs on autopilot. What appeared to be the worst thing in my life has actually turned out to be a tremendous awakening is exposed me to worlds that i never even knew existed or much less paid attention to such as personal growth personal development massive awakening about the programs that i that i was running and almost running on autopilot so then when you can start to look at yourself and say well this hardware i can't change <laughs> i can't, <laughs> You're stuck with it <laughs> this is my hardware right? <laughs> but i can change the programs yeah right? i can download new programs i can delete old programs i can change existing programs. I can improve them.
1: Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. This show is all about insights and explores how transformational moments of awakening have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthroughs teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Daniel Gray, and man, am I excited about this one. For starters, I've known Daniel, or Kiko as I call him, my entire life. Stay tuned to find out why. He's been enormously successful as a sales executive, having worked for Amazon and many others, but that's not why I'm excited. I'm excited because of the insights and personal story that Daniel shares. We get deep and raw, which is exactly the reason I do this show, to get past the surface level and explore some truly life-changing insights and moments. And it isn't always pretty. Daniel opens up and shares how the worst thing that's ever happened to him has been the catalyst for some personal growth and development. The wounds are still fresh, and we learn what he means when he says he was sleepwalking through life and why he feels he's in the midst of a tectonic shift that's changing who he is on the inside. This awakening has changed his perspective and given him a newfound passion for understanding how and why he acts the way he does. Through this journey of self-discovery, Daniel's embraced some valuable life metaphors and lessons. We learn what he means when he says our subconscious mind uses programs much like a computer how thinking in terms of versions has completely changed his approach to working on projects and why he feels he's been operating with split energy, which is not a good thing. Much of what he shares is rooted in the belief that wounding from childhood has played a role in who he's been most of his life. This one is jam-packed and is only part one of a two-part episode. It was incredible to have this deep and meaningful conversation with someone I've known my entire life, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Daniel Gray, welcome to Inside Out.
0: Thanks, William.
1: So excited to have you, and thanks for having me. We are sitting here in your den, in your casa, which is a high-rise in downtown, overlooking the house that Kobe built, the Staples Center. This place is amazing. The view is incredible. And I'm just delighted to spend some time with you. You know, I have the opportunity to interview some amazing people, but it's rare that I get the opportunity to interview somebody that I know as well as I know you. And that's because I've known you my whole life. You are not only a friend, you're also my cousin, (laughs) and you're also a remarkable human being. And so I'm excited to dig into your story. Before we get into it, I just want to say that, you know, I grew up And you were my idol, man. You were you were the guy that I always thought, wow, I want to be just like that guy. And it's because you had confidence. It's because you were a great athlete. It's because you were great with the ladies. And you brought you brought so many things to the table when you're a young kid and you see somebody, you start to say, wow, I wanna I wanna be just like that person. I even ended up going to the same college as you. That's right. You have a great story to tell. And so let's dig in. For those that don't know you, why don't we start with just your background? your story, man, and go back as far as you feel comfortable and just share the Dan Gray story.
0: Right on. You're right. We've known each other our entire life and uh, born and raised in LA. My, I guess the different thing about me is my mom's from Brazil. So I grew up in a bicultural family, speaking Portuguese, grew up here in Los Angeles, elementary school, high school, college, master's all in LA and all of that in a Catholic or Jesuit education. Um, and then after college lived some time in Brazil, I've traveled a lot. I've lived in a bunch of different places, but I've spent most of my career my sales career in high tech. Um, and then today I'm chief commercial officer at Deluxe, which is the media entertainment industry. So yeah, it's been fantastic. I'm a dad. I've got three beautiful kids. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of me in a, in a nutshell.
1: So you have your, your LA story. You've spent a lot of time in Brazil and knowing that side of you, uh, I had the opportunity to go down to Brazil with you at, at one point and experience <laughs> Carnival, which was absolutely extraordinary. Nice. We won't tell those stories just <laughs> yet. Maybe a little, maybe a little bit later on. But curious, when did you start realizing that you wanted to be go into business? Because you're you're very business minded. You, you've always had that demeanor and that mindset. You're you're always been a very ambitious person. And I'm curious when you started to realize like the direction you wanted to take your career because studied business in undergrad, but then you you did get your MBA. Curious how that evolved and to get into the you know the high
0: tech space, the cloud services space. So I'm going to work backwards and get deep right. Let's do it. Get deep right from the beginning. So working backwards and wasn't on, it was only through a lot of recent self-work that I realized that most of that, William, I was operating from a place of lack. Hmm so i didn't realize that in the beginning but you go back to your childhood where we all have some wounding from our childhood i came from a family that was fantastic in you know focus on love and the family and togetherness and that sort of thing Um, but there was always financial pressure financial challenges so from the time i was like 10 uh, I was already working with my dad. He was a general contractor, as you probably remember. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was in, around that age, saying, "I'm never gonna live my life." You felt it, oh yeah, man. I, 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 I'm never gonna live my life where you know we go to the market and we don't have enough money to you know to buy food, and you got to take items off of the conveyor belt or whatever. And or remember a moment where I asked my dad, "Hey, Dad, you know, you remember the mag t- the mag wheels for our BMXs?" Yeah, you know, I wanted so bad one of these mm. mag wheels. And I remember he came home from work and I said, Hey dad, uh, would you buy me some mag wheels? They were like a hundred bucks back in the day. That was a lot of money. And he was like, no, I can't afford it. So I was fueled by lack and fueled by fear, not wanting to experience that and not wanting to have that for my, for my family. I also knew I wanted to have family early. Um, so I'm blessed with my three kids, but yeah, it, it was more operating from a place of fear. And so you fast forward to today where I've studied these things and I'm not a master by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, you know I've learned that operating from a place of abundance and operating from a place of courage and not having split energy. So I've, al- I've also always had split energy where my mind and my bot and my heart are not aligned. Hmm. So my mind was always focused on, well, let me make sure that I've got that security that financial security for both for myself as a means of, uh, self-definition, self-value, uh, self-love, but that all stems from, you know, coming from a childhood where money was always a challenge, Mm -hmm. right? So I suppose the good thing is that it, it turned out nice, right? So, um, I'm very disciplined. I'm a really hard worker. Um, I've had a great education afforded by my parents So all those things have helped me achieve success both financial and career-wise but you know now i'm 47 years old and stepping back and assessing like do i want to operate in this life with split energy do i want to operate from a place of lack and Mm. a a place of fear no i don't even if it's delivering you know high w2 that by itself doesn't bring happiness right so so, but that's probably where it comes from is from my, you know, my younger years.
1: When did you realize that split energy was a thing? And it, like, I'm curious when that light bulb went off.
0: <laughs> Seriously, like in the last 60 days.
1: Right? <laughs> I'm so, catching you at a good time then.
0: Yeah. You, you got me at an amazing time where I'm going through this awakening, um, that is really fueled by, uh, my partner. Uh, she's a, a very important person in my life and, the things that she's shown me and taught me around uh, vulnerability and not operating from split energy. And, you know, there's countless authors that you and I were talking about from Abraham Hicks to Brene Brown, Tim Ferriss, Eckhart Tolle, Oprah, ingesting all this goodness and realizing, you know, I'm just coming to these realizations, overlaying these frameworks and these concepts against the backdrop of my life and, th- and, and saying and thinking like, whoa, I'm, you know, I'm literally coming awake and realizing a lot of things, but, you know, it uh it has been fantastic to do this reading and to do this self uh, assessment, introspection, et cetera. and that's where I'm coming up with these realizations.
1: Well, it's never too late to have an awakening and to begin to understand yourself in new and different ways. And sometimes it happens at the perfect time in our life. And so either by design or by random chance, whatever your belief tells you, mm. the reality is when we're ready to accept these things into our life, we do. That's right. For somebody that doesn't quite understand what you mean by split energy, can maybe you can give us a little bit more definition of what it means to you.
0: Yeah, so like I said, I'm not, I'm not yet a, a master or a Jedi of, of these concepts. So I'm, I'm, I'm really just playing back what I'm learning as of recent. But take, for example, my, the work that I do So I've always been in high-tech sales. So sales works for me. I'm naturally a gregarious social person, you know, extreme extrovert. So when I found that swim lane, it clicked. It clicked early in my career. And I was really good at sales. I was good at adopting sales methodology and sales science and learning how to apply that as a sales rep. And now, you know, fast forward many years later, I'm doing that as a sales leader. And so I coach, right, or I do sales through my sales team. But being aligned between what you're truly passionate about, what you care about, and you were talking about green, um, you know, uh, earth-friendly initiatives. When you're aligned with that passion, which is genuine to you internally, and then on the exterior, be it, you know, through work or how you present yourself to the world, when those things are aligned, then it's just very natural flowing. For me, um, what I was doing, on the exterior in terms of my, you know, my work or how I presented myself to the world and, and then how I felt inside or what I was genuinely passionate about inside, those things were always separate, right? Kind of like what they talk about these days is there's really no such thing like life work balance, right? Mm. Today, our life and our, and, and our work, there's no longer a, uh, a distinguished line. It's very blurred, uh, which is wonderful, right? But for me, those two worlds, what I was genuinely passionate about inside and then what I was doing on the outside, they haven't necessarily been entirely aligned. Right. So that's what I mean, but that's my definition or my interpretation of split energy. And so in you know, where I am now, I'm trying to reduce my split energy and figure out how do I align what I'm passionate about, what I care about on the inside with what I do mm-hmm. uh, on the outside.
1: Yeah and I think that's the dream right and a lot and, and you're not unique that's no. that's the stark reality is yeah. that what you're describing I'm sure many people can not only relate to but they probably don't even they haven't reached a point where they can say with great amount of certainty that they are fully aligned with their internal and their external and I think it's a quest that is is ongoing and evolving that's too because right. we evolve as as people I do want to talk about your insights. Before we do, I'm going to I'm going to skip ahead cuz we just had a great conversation about books. Mm. And this is something that I'm personally tied to the belief that we become more giving of ourselves when we give to ourselves and when we develop and a big method for that is through reading and in some cases, it's listening right mm. to a podcast or yeah. to, a, to an audio book, but they say leaders are readers, right? The reality that I know is that there are a lot of leaders that don't take the time to read. And I know your 2019 was the year of reading for you. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? You alluded to it a moment ago, but curious how you got into the space where you're going to read as much as you did. And how much did you really read relative to maybe what you've read in, let's call it the last decade.
0: Yeah. So I, I think it's worth mentioning that in, at 47, three kids, um, <laughs> I about two years ago, as you know, uh, I went through a divorce. So that was, uh, that was the existential crisis. And we were also talking about how things don't necessarily happen to us, but they happen for us. Mm-hmm. Well, in the beginning, using the tools that I had, which are limited... <laughs> Many of us think we know how to handle these situations. You're not necessarily equipped or instrumented to handle these situations. I handled the situation with anger, with re, you know rejection, depression, uh, all kinds of negative uh, emotions, and um, it was through the inspiration from my partner that you know reading was a way to uh, learn how to recognize that event as something happening for me, as opposed to to me. Mm. and it's
1: a powerful powerful distinction right there that that right there is a huge insight by the way
0: it's big it's big so when i came around that corner and i was telling you about my miracle mornings so my miracle mornings again uh, a concept adopted from my partner and the countless books and podcasts and even personal coaching that she's done with me i started to realize that by reading the therapy you know it was like self-therapy and i became addicted so I had mentioned that I'm very disciplined and methodical, and so my miracle morning is. I was telling you, I wake up at five in the morning, and I've added a number of elements to my miracle morning. My latest element is meditation. So tapping into your subconscious, and which I think, if the statistics are right or the data is right or the metrics, uh, you know, your subconscious makes up like eighty percent of your brain power. Yeah. So you know if that's the case, then I really was only using twenty percent of my brain power before, so um the reading and the meditation and the gratitude journal and working out and combining all that together is my miracle morning right I'm waking up at five, which means I've got to get to bed early the night before um, but the reading became i became an it, it became an insatiable appetite, so every morning i as soon as I'm up I'm after meditation, I'm into my books. And I listen to that while I work out and it's tremendous. They say that your morning is the rudder for the rest of your day. Mm. Right. So I started to realize by doing one day and then two weeks and then three months and so on and so forth by stringing this all together, the difference that it made, William, in my life on a daily basis was astronomical. And so from one book to the next, to the next, I don't know, I, I mean, I'm just spitballing, but probably 10 plus books in 2019, whereas the preceding decade, I would have been lucky to read, have read one book. I've always read articles and such, but like getting through full books uh, from really inspiring authors uh, is something that just happened. And that's a great example of the positive that came from, right, what appeared to be a a truly riveting kind of tectonic situation in in the divorce. Um, you know, it, it turned me into reading, which turned me into self introspection and so on and so forth. So I couldn't, you know, I could not get on top of a higher mountain and yell louder about, you know, reading and some of these key authors have been huge for me in changing the the inside, right? Which I think then changes the way that I, that I show up for the world on the outside.
1: Yeah, man, that's so powerful and good for you for making that transition and it sounds to me like you've built and created a habit, which yeah. life often is about the habits that we can create in our life. You've always struck me as a disciplined person and, and perhaps I was fooled, but I'm curious <laughs> how, how long how long have you had the discipline or at least the level of discipline that you have? Because again, growing up and watching you, and I don't just mean as a kid, I actually mean even more so as an adult and watching and, and talking to you and having deep conversations and knowing who you are, you've always managed to elevate and have your career. And we were talking about this a little bit ago, like up into the right. Yeah. Like, it's just like, if we're looking at a graph, your career continued to go up and up and up and more, compelling and higher profile roles, better companies, you know, working at Amazon, for example, these are no nonsense names. And I think again, by nature, you you seem to have this discipline, but, but again, I could be wrong about that. Like, are you a disciplined person by nature? And if not, or, you know, if not, like, what do you do to become disciplined? And if so, like talk a little bit about how that's helped, helped you in your career and in your life.
0: Yeah. That's a great, that's a great question. So if I go back again, you know, look into, uh, the, the past, the history, the roots, the foundation, you know, I, I played soccer my entire life, um, all the way through to NCAA at Loyola Marymount. Um, and then in a men's league for 15 some odd years afterwards, but mostly, you know, at the collegiate level, um, the level of discipline and rigor that is required to tune your body. And, you know, I'll just take advantage of a big hero mm-hmm that we all have in Kobe I mean that's a great just simple example of discipline and hard work even at the top of his game he's one of the most disciplined um practitioners of basketball so I think if you look around people that um uh, I think Kobe was saying you know you got to love the process and not just the destination so I genuinely loved going to practice I loved hitting you know going to the gym I still go to the gym five days a week Um, not necessarily, you know, become Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's more about, you know, staying, staying in shape and, and it's the discipline um, that somehow my character, my, my being is just naturally attracted to methodology. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I've been successful in sales is because I've gone past just the, uh, just the relationship part of people think, oh, you know, salespeople, they think like used car salesmen and it's all, you know, uh, manipulation, et cetera. But there's there's truly a science to sales and i think there's a science to everything so if you can get through the layers down to the science um my yeah you know, my being is attracted to understanding the mechanics of how things work and then i figure it you know crack the code like you were saying crack that code and figure that out and when i do then you know the the types of rewards and dis- and um and dividends that you get from that type of discipline it's really amazing so for example on my sales team what i told my sales team or what i tell my sales team is we will be the team that does the ordinary things extraordinarily well mm. if you do the ordinary things extraordinarily well it's amazing the results that you can get and you don't have to be a Kobe Bryant or you know some amazing god gifted you know uh, athlete it really does come down to Right, the daily habit, the the things that you do day in and day out, it's really the the minutia. And if you enjoy doing that, which I do, um, not on everything, but when it comes sales or physical fitness and and now personal growth, I'm just dive into the science behind it. So I love adopting the 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 science behind things, um, and I've found that that has been extremely rewarding.
1: Well, the science gives you the why, like it kind of gives you a better understanding of the why it it works or why it's effective. And it, it helps, I think, give you the buy-in necessary to actually make the transition or adjustment in your life to adopt the habit, the approach or whatever it may be. Right. If you, if you listen to a book and in that book, they give you a very clear reasoning, especially if it's a scientific reasoning, why this is so important or why this is so helpful I think it gives you a lot more confidence that it's something worth doing. I want to get into the science of sales in a little bit, but before we do, I just, I don't want to leave your collegiate insights uh, off the table and we'll, mm. and we'll get into just life's insights in general yeah. in, in a few minutes. But I wondered if you could share, cause I know soccer has always been really important and I talked about growing up with you. I remember we played countless soccer games yeah. in the front yard and. <laughs> It, it, was, it was a great memory. And and you were, I mean, dude, I was like, who is this guy, Pele? I mean, you were so, so good. And I was like, I never got as good as you at yeah. soccer. I, I was a baseball guy. and You, you were know, a good baseball player. I was, yeah. And like you, you know, went all the way into into the college level. I didn't end up playing all four years in college like you did, but it was such an experience to be a part of the organization of a collegiate level yeah. team and start to see when people put their all into something, when they have the discipline to make sure that they are at the their top of their game, there's something really special about that. And, it's, it's amazing to see, especially in young people, we're talking 18-year-old kids who have been playing, even if they played serious club leagues, there's no substitute for division one collegiate athletics. It's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. And I know it even gets further in when you get into pro level and what have you. Um, but I'm curious as a collegiate athlete, and I know you still play to this day, you're still an active soccer player. Soccer has been important to you. Can you talk about the ways it's been important to you and also the insights that you've gained mm. from being immersed in that sport?
0: Yeah. Immediately jumps out for me the word grit.
1: Oh, love it!
0: So, grit. I think people can define grit differently, and and that's totally fine. Um, uh, for me, the grit is something that you can teach, but it's almost God given. There's just something inside that person. It could be a mixture of passion, desire for excellence, desire for success, or whatever the case might be. Um, but on the soccer field, I had grit and that came from just genuine passion for the game. Um, the game clicked for me. It doesn't necessarily click for everybody, but that game clicked for me. There was no other sport. As you probably remember, I did not touch any other sport.
1: You are Brazilian, right? <laughs> so that's we did. let's not forget
0: that. It's in the blood. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I just, I had no interest in anything else. I play on two, three teams at a time. I played every year since I was seven years old. Um, and it's just, uh, once again, when you talk, talk about, you know, split energy, there's no split energy on the soccer field because it is just something that goes so well with me in all kinds of ways. Um, but the discipline that comes from it, um, the, the grit that you give the game and the game gives back to you teamwork, that's huge. So I think, you know, for young people, um, sports is a fantastic launching pad to life, Uh, especially any sport where um, it's, it's a team effort. So um, it's totally applicable from, from my sport of soccer to my current career of sales. It's, you know, it's still individual performance, but there is this huge element of teamwork, as you know. So, um, so those are probably some of the big things that, you know, that soccer taught me that I took away from the sport and from the, the, my passion for the game. It builds confidence, it builds physical fitness which lends to just overall health, body, mind, spirit. So those are probably the, the big things, right, that I take away from, from my career in playing soccer, and which I'm now handing over, handing down to my children mm. and teaching them the importance of discipline, grit, not giving up, that's another big one that we learn in sports, right? So you go through a lot of lessons and teachable moments through the instrument of sport that I think is, is just so valuable right, to life. But most of all, like you said before, this interview is is, about having fun. So I've just completely in a a euphoric state when I'm playing soccer. Ah,
1: and it's interesting that you mentioned that there's no split energy, right? It's all internal, external. It's it's beautiful. It's everything. We're going to get into insights now and just kind of, I want to give you a very, like a blank canvas on this one. And if you could kind of think back in your life and remember those moments that acted as pivot points that Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form really defined who you are. And it could be a moment where you had this sudden realization an aha moment. It sounds to me like one clear and obvious one is what's happened recently with Mm -hmm. the insight that you've had about split energy. What other moments in your life stand out that have been monumental in importance and in some way, shape, or form created this breakthrough moment that existed?
0: Hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a monster question. I like that a lot. Um, You know, the, if I work backwards, the existential crisis that I went through, which was a divorce for me and through my divorce, my family was broken up. I, my, I had to sell my, the house that I labored. It was a labor of love. You saw a lot of the work that I did on the house myself. Um, I
1: and mean, I know what you put into a house having lived with you at one of your yeah. houses, I mean you talk about uh, you, know, you have some serious uh, skills, and I know that comes probably from the blood because right. we, we, you know right. we both have a lot of that in our family your, right. your dad, as you already mentioned, but That's yeah, exactly so you put a lot right. into your house I, and, yeah, and, so a beautiful house.
0: Thank you so you know the existential crisis has turned out to be quite the launching pad for a an internal growth phase that I was probably sleepwalking through most of life. And so one of the big things that I learned to your to the spirit of your question is the concept of programs. So in an analogy, if you think of us humans as hardware, like like a computer, we are the hardware and on this hardware you have software that's running, which are the programs that we've been fed culturally um, uh, through school, through religion, um, through society, whatever, you, just, you don't even realize that you're almost running a number of programs on autopilot. So uh, the, the, what appeared to be the worst thing in my life has actually turned out to be uh, an, a tremendous awakening. It has exposed me to worlds um, that I never even knew existed or much less paid attention to. Such as personal growth, personal development. And there's just like this burgeoning movement, at least from what I can tell, around, you know, like authors like Brene Brown talking about the power of vulnerability. So that, uh, uh, there was a, I I forget the name of the book, the first book that I I can't remember if it's Dare to Lead or um, uh, I forget the name of the book right now, but Brene Brown's concept of vulnerability, especially for me, a male raised by an alpha male, you know, somewhat brutish. Uh, uh, generation that, you know, forced children with spanking and like a lot of things that we probably don't do as fathers now, Um, you know, the, just a massive awakening about the programs that I've, that I was running mm-hmm. and almost running on autopilot. So then when you can start look at yourself and say, well, this hardware, I can't change. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> You're stuck with I, it. <laughs> I, I, this is my hardware, right? <laughs> but I can change the programs, Yeah, right? I can download new programs, I can delete old programs, I can change existing programs, I can improve them. And I've actually talked to my kids about this. So that's, you know, again, working backwards, the crisis what appeared to be the worst thing in my life has actually been a massive awakening and has given me the opportunity only because again, my partner helped me to see it as an opportunity. And you know, this concept of what programs am I running Uh, What programs do I want to keep running? What new programs? Now that's the big one is adopting new programs is not easy. Mm. So when we go back to the concept of discipline, the Miracle Morning, for example, that's an entirely new program that I'm running. And it has made a massive difference. Probably the biggest element of my Miracle Morning that has made the biggest difference is meditation. By far and large, it has been just tectonic. It has been a massive change in my disposition, my ability to be calmer, my ability to forgive myself, accept myself, love myself. So those things all stem from this existential existential crisis that I went through recently. Um, I told you about going then all the way back to my younger years and realizing what kind of wounding did I go through? Would you maybe agree or even realize that we you know i'm 47 you're a little bit younger than i am we still carry wounding from our childhood Mm -hmm. that we really were never taught equipped instrumented to deal with i'm coming to terms with some of those things now so i'm talking a lot about some you know really soft you know soft stuff um but you know the the the, those things that dealing with the wounding from my childhood and then fast forwarding all the way to the most recent challenge, and then everything in between, my perspective has massively changed to the point where I can show up with a level of emotional intelligence for my partner, my friends, my family, my work colleagues. The difference that has made in me, at least I notice a difference and people around me close to me have noticed a difference. Um, You actually, like it, it brings you to a level of performance that you know, is it's not measured by how much money you make or what your title is or what company you work for or where you live or what car you drive or what clothes you wear, that all those are the wrong markers. They're the wrong goalposts, right? Because if you focus on these internal things, right, then you can actually solve for that split energy. And then all of a sudden you start coming from a place of abundance and then amazing things, like you were telling me when you first got here, amazing things start to happen for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are probably some of the main things that I can think of recently that, you know, are, are, are major pivot points.
1: That's, yeah, thank you for, for sharing. There's, I want to kind of dig in on a couple of things. For one, you talk about these programs and that, this fascinates me because I, I love conceptualizing it in that way because it makes total sense, right? We, we know we have the hardware, but it's the programs, it's the software that's really making the hardware run, right? Yeah. And the actions, the activities, what we do on a daily basis are all run by our brain effectively yeah. and which, which run the programs. And you also talked earlier about the subconscious. I'm curious, in some sense, some of these programs that you've been running, they were on autopilot. I think you even just mentioned that. Mm. Can you think back to maybe some of the programs you were running that you know, you obviously talked about morning routine. So we know that you had a program before it was not optimized in the way that your current miracle morning program is operating. What else would be a program that you had before that you've at least identified as it exists and either you have changed it or you, are you now seek to change it?
0: Okay. So this is a heavy one. Um, I read an article recently Around uh this the topic would be around parenting about and especially for you and I and, and any males that are listening around being a father, either soon to be a father or already a dad. I read an article that said when parents yell at their children, it's a signal of the program, right, that they were instilled when they were children. So I'm I don't know if you if you do this, or other people do this, but a lot of times I'm watching myself. I'm listening to myself. I'm very, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tough critic of myself. <laughs> so, um, you know, I would, you know, my dad, my dad's a, he's a burly general contractor. He's also a highly intelligent individual. One
1: of the smartest people I know.
0: Very, very book smart, but I would give him low marks on emotional intelligence.
1: <laughs> That's okay. often the case, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would give him low marks on emotional <laughs> intelligence. But the point is I can see you know, they say you turn into your- you turn <laughs> Of into course, your, you see your parents and you. In turn you. into your parents. There it is. And so this article woke me up to, well, if I'm yelling at my children, which I have, um, I, I must suspect many parents would be guilty of that. But if I can stand back and say, wait a minute, I'm just running a really- like old version of a program.
1: <laughs> this is like a CD-ROM.
0: I'm telling you, this is like DOS. And and what's amazing is when you start to think in these analogies that you can actually say, well, hold on now. I actually don't have to keep running that program. Right Now the way to, you know, any of us have downloaded and deleted apps on an iPad or a phone. The way for you to solve for that, right, is you don't necessarily like, Try and boil the ocean, just straight up delete the program. But the first step is just recognizing and admitting right that you're running an old program. So the other day, I told my children, right I gave them this analogy that I'm like a robot and I'm running on a bunch of different programs. and when I'm when I lose my patience or I, I yell at my kids, I'm actually um, almost like on autopilot, on sleep mode. Defaulting to a very old program and the reason that the the article said the reason this happens is because when you get into a, a state of heightened emotion, your you're kind of your your brain shuts off and you go to instinct right? Mm. But that instinct was developed when we were kids right So I can see I can actually at least I can see William, I can see the program. So I can see it and I know that it's running and I know that I want to change it. Because I know that I can do better, so that's that's what I'm talking about, um, and that's probably a more recent, you know, um, and simple example. Again, not to do with careers and money and all that jazz, but to do with fatherhood, right? And wanting to be a better father for my kids, I realized that I'm, you know, as I was running that program, and and that's a program that I don't want to change.
1: Well, that, and that's really comes back to the the kind of through line that I'm hearing over and over again is what our subconscious mind does or doesn't do as a result of programming that happens when we're a young person, right? And the child that's why the childhood is such a critical yeah. part of our development. And it's why, frankly speaking, so many people that have a very difficult childhood, it also shows up throughout their life. And it does take a lot of work to do the reprogramming to your point earlier to change the program it starts with recognizing that the program exists and then start to start to identify, you know, ways in which you can make the shift or the transition. And it's not easy. Curious what you've seen as maybe some helpful tips or ways or methodologies to like for the miracle morning, for example, or, or something else like how did you you do it by layer? You said, don't boil the ocean, but like, how do you do it? What what recommendation would you get for somebody that says they do recognize they have a program that probably should go in the waste bin, but they they can't figure out how to get rid of it. It's like still lingering. It's stuck in the, in the tray
0: and it won't eject. So I got to tell you, um, and I want to make a shout out to his, his name is Greg Rodriguez. He's a gentleman that I met when I was living in Texas in 2018 I was working for a different company called The Hut Group, which is a, a UK-based company, uh, a unicorn at that. They're a billion-dollar company and growing. Um, so I was living in San Antonio, and I met this gentleman that I worked with. His name is Greg Rodriguez, um, one of the best human beings, uh, business, and sales executives that I've ever worked with, younger than me. okay. And so ego would say, well, there's nothing I can learn from this younger, uh, this younger guy. But in fact, I learned, uh, I, I learned a lot from Greg. And one of the key things I learned from Greg, which uh, I learned in the context of work, but I have applied to every part of my life. And, and I'll tie in a concept from Brene Brown that I connected those dots. That's so something else that I like to do is do a lot of dot connecting that may not appear to be a correlation, but that, that there is. And so Greg taught me to think inversions. Now, in the context of a company, right, if you think about if the culture of the company is one that allows you and, and fosters this concept of thinking in versions, version one, version two, version three. When you think and act inversions, you know, even when you were talking about the whole video concept, right? The challenge with doing videos and and your uh, proclivity for perfection. Perfection, yeah. So when you think and act in versions. And you make it okay for version one to be what Brene Brown calls your shitty first draft, your SFD. I don't know if you remember that <laughs> yeah, from the yeah, book. Yeah. So I indoctrinated this into my team here in, in 2019 in the new company that I worked at. And I, I gotta tell you, it was amazing how that by itself, William, removed inertia. Mm. Because I made it okay for people to think, talk, deliver, in what I called and everybody called it the shitty first draft. I love it. So when you think in versions and you act in versions, I myself, like you, I'm, I'm not ultimate perfectionist, um, but I am, I, I like to achieve excellence. So, uh, you know, they say like in cloud computing, uh, you know, I want 99.99s of uptime um, or, you know, uh, reliability. So I don't need nine nines, as they say in the world of cloud computing, right? Like, Two or three nines is all right, but thinking inversions, acting inversions removes inertia, and as long as you foster a culture, it could be in your relationship, or it could be at home, or it could be in the workplace. If you can foster this concept of think inversions, act inversions, what that does is it makes the first version uh, shitty, and that's okay. But what you what you gain in exchange is velocity. Mm. Velocity, as you know, is key in business. But velocity is key in in personal life. So uh, a lot of times I would, you know, before I met Greg, I'd have a challenge or a problem that I was trying to solve in my life. But I was trying to solve it to perfection. In other words, I wasn't trying to go to version one, then version two, version three, and so on and so forth. I was trying to go from zero to version 10 in one fell swoop. And that caused inertia, right? It caused like a deer in the headlights syndrome. Yeah, right, right, right. Of, well- It's so difficult that actually I won't even get started. However, if you think in this concept of shitty first draft, which is completely borrowed from Brene Brown, and you make that okay, it's amazing what happens that people can produce whatever it is that they're trying to do. They can produce the shitty first draft in like five or 10 minutes. And then you iterate to the second version and the so on and so forth. And before you know it, the velocity you achieve to version 10 is faster than if you were trying to gain to perfection out of the gates.
1: Oh, drop the mic, bro. We could, we, could, <laughs> we could just stop right there. That is so powerful. I can't it's even- not, it's, it's, it's not me, I right? know, but you're delivering it right now. It's, it's you a did a great job of, a of delivering it. It's
0: a combination of concepts- You're that, connecting the dots. Yeah, that come from other thought leaders. And you're right, this is part of that discipline and methodologies. And like you were saying- leaders are readers. So when you read these things, you connect, or rather you collect these gold kernels. And then pretty soon you can put together a gold nugget. Pretty soon you've got yourself a gold bar. And so I a hundred percent agree with you from what you said before, like the more you read and the more people you meet and talk to and, and so on and so forth, the things that you can collect along the way, and then, then, if, and then your superpower is, well, how do you put them together? Right? How do you synthesize them, connect them, and then use them in daily life? But that's the biggest one. And you teed up the question nicely. It's one of the biggest, you know, learnings that I have in the last, feels like in the last five years, Mm -hmm. simple, but massively effective.
1: Well, momentum is an important thing or velocity, as you put it, right? If you can gain velocity through iterating and giving yourself a chance to fail, frankly, like, you know, this is so cliche, but right. How many times? How many light bulbs did it take before the actual real right. light bulb was invented? We all know it's like you know a thousand or something, right? Yeah. So, had he just tried to go for the perfect one right away, he probably would have never hit it. And to That's your right. point, you know, if you can have that shitty first version, at least you have a version, and that version acts as it's almost like you know I, I mentioned and you you alluded to it. I've sort of put on the back burner my video work and mm-hmm. producing and specifically video where I'm in front of the camera and it's, oh, there's a variety of factors at play, but probably ego or insecurity, like all these layers to it. And we could sit here and dissect it. But I think what I, what I'm hearing you say and what I'm, realizing myself is the shittier the better might as well start really might as well start really shitty because you're just going to keep going uh the direction that you want to go and and so like i just put out a video yesterday and it wasn't perfect i'll call it 70 percent perfect but like that just means that means i have plenty of room to to go and perfect is in the eye of the beholder we're all going to say different things are perfect for different reasons and the imperfection of perfection is is a powerful thing. And if we remember that, then I think we can give ourselves permission to just be progressing and not allow ourselves to be stifled by trying to be absolutely flawless, which that, who is? That's
0: it, that's it. The other way to think of it, and you can apply this to your emotional life, you can apply this to your work life, you can apply it to your personal life and so on and so forth we all are familiar, most of us would be familiar with the term build the muscle. So, you know, for sports folks, for example, it's very natural that you, or dancers even, my daughter's in ballet and you can see she's only 10 years old, but she's already got muscles, right? In her legs from the repetition uh, that she does in dancing. Well, she's building those muscles, not even really knowing it, she's building those muscles. Well, You can build your muscle in anything that you do. You can apply that phrase to anything you do, right? So once again, in the context of work, the team may or may not do well in a certain initiative or project or whatever it is. Okay, we've got to build the muscle. In other words, I'm not going to come in and ask my team or my children, right? And put 45 pound weights on the bar and say, okay, now give me 10 reps. You start with five. And then you go to ten, and then you go, you know, another ten. And pretty soon you're doing a plate, and so on and so forth. Um, when I talk to my kids, or I talk to my team, or or even myself, I say, "Well, I'm still building that muscle." Uh, even in the context of my relationship, um, there may be, you know, my ability, for example, to be vulnerable. I've been programmed with an ego, all right, Chauvinistic alpha male, right? That's that's how I was brought up, and that's who. I've known myself to be most of my life. So what am I having to do? I have to build the muscle around being vulnerable. You don't just stop being egotistical, chauvinistic, narcissistic, et cetera, and then turn on, you know, being vulnerable. It, it, it's it, not like, like
1: a faucet, right? It's, it's not a light switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
0: what I've done is I've made it okay for myself uh, to build that muscle. And then you can even tell my partner, hey. I'm just, I'm still building that muscle. Okay, well, I get it, right? I'm not on the 25-pound weights. I'm, I'm on the five-pound <laughs> weights, right? So- You got
1: the version what? Yeah,
0: I'm still in shitty first draft mode. So these concepts, I think, um, are incredibly powerful. They're super simple, but they have made massive, massive changes and delivered massive gains for me, especially when I'm trying to either change a program or download a new program as long as I say, look, it's okay to do the shitty first draft or it's okay because I'm still building the muscle, man, it just like takes all the hot air out of the balloon and makes it okay. Mm-hmm. So this concept of fail fast, fail cheap, right? This is a concept I learned at Amazon. Like that was good, but it still has that negative connotation of fail. Whereas build the muscle, right? Has a very positive connotation. Um, and even shitty first draft is like, well, that's okay, right? I'm just showing you my draft. So it doesn't have to be perfect. It's amazing the velocity that you gain. And then all of a sudden, everything in that culture, again, be it work, relationship, whatever, starts to be okay to operate on that first and then move to the second, third, and the fourth and so on and so forth, it's removed a major blocker in my life. Yeah.
1: And it's amazing to think through the way these all sort of tether together and tie in, right? The the discipline that you learn from athletics, right? The developing a program and you develop that program by being okay with having versions of Mm -hmm. that program and the versions actually get better over time by building muscle around that program. And making sure that you on an ongoing basis continue to evolve and develop and make that program stronger. And therefore in in the process, you're giving yourself an opportunity to have a version two, a version three and so on. Uh, and you've learned, it sounds to me like last year was a pivotal year from you and just growing and learning. Yeah. And as much as I wanna get into the career side, I'm so like eager to learn more uh, through your learnings. What else stands out if you were just gonna think of like, concepts ideas or just general insights that that are super call it important to your own development have you found in the last year 16
0: months or so Mm, another big concept right that uh that i've applied on a daily basis again with kudos to greg right uh the the gentleman that i met in san Antonio. by the way you know um what a wonderful town what a wonderful experience it was to live in texas um, you, you probably saw I was still wearing my Texas boots. And, uh, and so I carry a lot with me from what I learned in Texas and from Greg, but there's another saying that he used to use uh, that, that I've that I've adopted. Um, and I, I want to say that it has military background, but the saying is, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And in the military context, then it finishes with fast is deadly. So if you think of a sniper, for example, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, fast is deadly, right? So for you to be deadly, you actually have to be slow. And so um, the, there are a lot of times in our life where the opposite of what you and I were talking about, where if we like, for example, with you in the videos, you've had this mental inertia that has kind of slowed your build the muscle uh, in, that, in that space. There are other times where we are hasty right? And we want to hurry up and get out and do something. Uh, I'll give you an example. Right now, I'm working on updating my resume, updating my LinkedIn profile, right? It's just that time. It's real easy to want to race out and get it all solved right away. But this concept of slow is smooth and smooth allows you to be fast. So if you actually slow down, you can you can deliver the speed that you're looking for, right? So it's a little bit similar to the shitty first draft. You you know you don't have to gain get to perfection right out of the gates. But this concept of slow, is smooth, smooth as fast, fast as deadly has been pretty effective. I recently heard, and I think it was a a podcast for Ed Milet,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where I, I want to say it was it was in one of his podcasts where one of his guests said that the way that he operates is also borrowed from sports is play by play so take it
1: one play at a time that sort of thing
0: one play at a time and again I, I could be misreferring it, it may not have been that particular podcast but be that as it may this concept of play by play it doesn't matter what happened in the play before and it doesn't matter what play is coming up. what matters is might if even if you know you got thrown the football and you and you didn't catch it that was the last play that plays over the play's dead to carry that into the next play. Doesn't help.
1: It's the power of now, right? It's being present.
0: It is. it is. Golf. Golf
1: is to me the the perfect example of that being just a fundamental truth to any successful golfer, because it's so easy to get irritated on the mm-hmm. golf course. Anyone that golfs knows it is infuriating to mm-hmm. have a bad shot. But if you ask the best players, and my dad was recently talking about a book that he read, he said the best golfers are able to let their bad shots just, they're done. They're done. You got to focus on what you're doing, but sorry, carry on.
0: Yeah, no. So I think these concepts are all, like you said, they're all interrelated and, and the different phrases that are catchy, you you hear them from everybody. And I think that they're super cool because they're easy to retain and they're easy to, um, to invoke in, you know, in a, in a daily scenario, but I share them because they've been massively helpful for me. So keep this concept of, Sometimes you got to apply the slow, smooth, smooth, as fast. Other times it's stay focused on the play-by-play. And especially as a leader, um, it helps when you can actually calm the entire team's mentality down and just call out something like, let's stay focused on the current play or what's the next play, mm. right? Because a lot of us will very naturally think of all of the details that are happening and try and connect them all and figure them all out at one at one shot. Take it slow and slow delivers smooth and smooth delivers fast. Take it play by play. It's really deconstructing, you know, whatever you're doing, deconstructing it down to what are the small steps that I need to take, right? To finally climb whatever mountain you're trying to climb. But those are some of the things, again, you you collect these, as I say, in battle, right? So these Mm -hmm. are battle wounds. These are, are, you know, battle scars that I've collected out in the field, right? Of uh, uh, doing sales. And and then you collect them, and you realize, wow, it's, it, these are like the little sound bites that make the difference in the field, right? In the field can be in the field of sales where you're out, you know, beating the pavement, and it could be, you know, at, at dinner time with the kids. So it, it doesn't much matter what the uh, what the circumstance is. Some of these, um, and back to your point about subconscious when you start to harness the power of your subconscious mind like some of these things they actually can right you can meditate on these concepts and you would be am- I'm, you're I'm programming a- yourself man i am amazed what happens during the day for me that some of these things they, they come back without me necessarily putting any mental effort to make them come back right to call to call on them and i would just mention really quickly breathing techniques during meditation uh, is not only amazing during meditation but when you indoctrinate that into meditation during the day in highly stressful situations i don't know if you've done much reading on it i've, I've just started to scratch the surface but breathing is extremely powerful if you know how to harness your breathing so these 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 uh, these sound bites the breathing the meditation like all these little things together have made just tremendous difference just in the last 24 36 months for me
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.